We can't continue to treat diabetes and obesity the way we have in the past. So, you know, either telling a patient that they need to be doing more to further reduce their food intake, even though they're very hungry or to feel starving all the time. I mean, these medications have really allowed folks to consume a lower number of of calories in a day while not feeling hungry and kind of allows for much more dietary control on a day-to-day basis. That was Dr. Leon Eagle explaining one of the biggest shifts he's seen throughout his career in the treatment of obesity. Dr. Eagle is the medical director of Flight Medical. You're listening to Weight Matters, where we unpack the science behind our weight, why it matters, and the effects it has on our health, psychology, and society. This season, join Drs. Louis Aroni and Katherine Saunders, leading experts in the field of obesity medicine and co-founders of IntelliHealth, as they tackle the many ways weight impacts our broader health, and along with experts in the field, explore innovative strategies for preventing and treating obesity. In this episode, Dr. Eagle breaks down the connection between diabetes and obesity. He also shares his perspective about the challenge of accessing quality treatment for obesity. And he explains how telehealth is bridging that gap to help patients get the care they need. We're glad to have you along for this journey. There's a lot to discuss, so let's dive in. Welcome to the Weight Matters Podcast. We are excited to have Dr. Leon Eagle with us today. Dr. Eagle is the Medical Director of Flight Medical, IntelliHealth's Clinical Health Services Affiliate. Dr. Eagle specializes in the care of patients with obesity and a broad spectrum of associated endocrine conditions. Dr. Eagle, thank you so much for joining us today. We are thrilled to have you. So excited to join. Thanks for having me. It's great being able to speak to you, Leon. One of the things that we wanted to talk about today is how you got interested in obesity. You were one of the earlier converts to obesity, I think, and uh, the story about how you got interested would really be valuable to our listeners. Yeah, happy to share. And a huge amount of that credit goes to you, Dr. Aroni. So, Roughly 20 years ago, I took my father to his first appointment with with you, with Dr. Aroni, and we were at a state of desperation at that point, actually. You know, my, uh, my father was really quite unwell. In the late 90s, he had retired from work because he could no longer really function at a high level. He was having trouble walking even from his bedroom to the kitchen without having to sit and take a break in between. And his weight had climbed to 320 pounds on a five foot 10 frame. And we really didn't know where to turn. And actually, it was his brother who recommended that we seek out your care. And at that point, I was also in the process of applying to medical school. Didn't really know what I wanted to go into at the time. But as I started seeing the medical path that you were laying out and that what you were doing for my father, it just sort of 
set off this this light bulb. You know, you have that aha moment, and it was I just didn't even realize that people were treating. Uh, weight and the associated medical complications and doing it in a very different way than my father had been treated up until that time. So when he came in, I mentioned he was at 320 pounds and he was on a number of medications that I had no knowledge of this, but at the time that they were impacting his weight quite significantly. So he was on Tenormin, which is a tenolol, which is a beta blocker uh, for his blood pressure control. And it was significantly impacting some other systems, including causing some fatigue and shortness of breath and some bradycardia or low heart rate. With all of those complications, that was part of why he was having trouble walking around. He just really didn't feel well on that medication, but it was also contributing to some of his weight issues in addition to some of his side effects. And his diabetes was being managed with uh, two medications that are also known to cause weight gain. So he was on gliburide and pioglitazone. And they were causing both low glucose at a number of different times, but also poorly controlled glucose generally. So he was having frequent symptoms of hypoglycemia, the low glucose, and also still really poorly controlled. And that had also led to some kidney problems and uh, a pretty significant renal failure. And what Dr. Roney did that was so impressive was that he really revamped my father's blood pressure regimen in, in a very significant way and also revamped his diabetes regimen. Uh, my father was one of the first patients nationally to start a medication at the time, which was called Bietta, which was the first in the class of GLP-1 receptor agonist that was released, and that was in 2005. And he was also one of the first patients to ever take Simlin for the exact same treatment for both glucose control and weight control. And along with those revamps in his blood pressure and diabetes medications, he really had quite a transformation. Uh, and it's taken a number of years but today, my father weighs 165 pounds. So he's essentially lost 50% of his body weight without requiring bariatric surgery and is healthier than he was 20 years ago, which is quite a testament, uh, you know, in terms of time passing. So again, the utmost credit to Dr. Aroni for being a pioneer in the field, but really for also allowing me to join him as I was going through my medical training and start coming in. And, you know, I asked along the way, as I was attending the appointments with my father, I said, can I join you for some research projects as I'm going through medical school? And of course, he was more than happy to say yes in the moment, but I don't think he actually knew that I was going to take him up on it. And uh, 20 years later still be working with him in such a significant capacity. I actually um, had my uh, internal medicine residency first choice as Cornell so I could stay and continue working with Dr. Aroni and likewise for my endocrine fellowship, again, staying at Cornell for the exact same reason. So, you know, it was really the, the path was so clear to me as this kind of unfolded gradually. And it's really been a labor of love from a family perspective, but just a very, very, very singular mission for me to follow in those footsteps. And I, I consider myself very much sort of in the Aroni lineage as a young protege that way to hopefully continue carrying that torch forward. 
Leon, thank you so much for sharing your father's incredible story. It's it's really unbelievable that he's down 50% of his body weight and so much more functional and um, diabetes well controlled and other health conditions well controlled. It's it's this is just such a great great, great personal example of the kind of work that Dr. Roney has taught us and his other protégés to do. So really, thank you again for for getting personal and and sharing with the listeners your story. Um, As an endocrinologist, we would love to hear your explanation of the link between diabetes and obesity. Our listeners probably have an idea that, you know, diabetes and obesity are are very closely connected, but with your endocrine expertise and your educational expertise, we would love to hear an explanation of how the two diseases are so closely linked and why one leads to the other and how there there may be a vicious cycle and how this all works. Sure. So for the purposes of this discussion, I'll assume that when we're saying diabetes, we're really talking about type 2 diabetes, just to not confuse anyone in, in terms of the nomenclature. So I will leave out type 1 diabetes or gestational diabetes from this discussion. But type 2 diabetes is a really interesting disease state and kind of manifests differently in different patients. But in general, it is very closely associated with weight, as you mentioned, uh, having a lot to do with insulin resistance and sort of that as we gain weight, we become more and more resistant to our own insulin so that it's not working as well to control our sugar and our glucose and our body as uh, well as it did previously. So as weight continues to climb, the body tries to dump in more and more insulin to try to do a better job of controlling your sugar itself. But how it kind of does that is that the insulin that's circulating in your body grabs any sugar that's coming into your bloodstream and kind of socks it away in your adipose tissue, in your fat tissue, and stores it there. And as it stores more and more glucose in your fat tissue, over time, you are continuing to gain weight. And it is really just a vicious feed forward cycle. So we end up trying to use as many medications as we can when we choose them to offer additional insulin sensitivity, kind of making you more sensitive to your own natural insulin again, so that you're not always in that hyper storage mode that your body finds itself in as it tries to do a better and better job of controlling your own glucose levels. And that has led to the very close association that you previously mentioned between obesity and type 2 diabetes. And, you know, just looking at the numbers nationally, we know that over 11% of the United States has diabetes and uh, a large percentage are actually undiagnosed. The, the estimate is that about a quarter of folks who have type 2 diabetes don't even know that they have type 2 diabetes. And then the conditions that also are kind of the precursors to diabetes, what we refer to as pre-diabetes, is also very, very, very prevalent in the United States. So you have 38% of the adult population with pre-diabetes that's just considered 18 and over. And as we look at age 60, 65 and over, then you're talking about 50% of the United States with prediabetes. So everyone is sort of in this progression towards diabetes, and a lot of that ties in so closely to weight gain that occurs over time and throughout the, someone's lifetime. 
Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, I think that the magnitude of the problem is one of the issues that is making it hard for people to get their head around treating it. Because uh, as you know, while 80% of uh, patients with type 2 diabetes are receiving medical care according to some guidelines, now we may not agree with it, but they are getting some type of medical care, being treated with medications, less than 2% of patients with obesity are being treated according to these guidelines. And this is true even for people with prediabetes. The numbers are, are similarly low. Why do you think that is? What do you think is going on there in the minds of the primary care physician, the minds of the endocrinologists? You know, I think it's so multifactorial. I think in general, there's very little taught in medical education at the medical school and residency and fellowship level about managing weight. And I think that goes into sort of provider discomfort in addressing those areas and in feeling comfortable prescribing medications for obesity. And I also think it's how the insurance companies tend to cover the medications that are approved for obesity treatment. So we know that some of the major payers like uh, Medicare really don't cover any weight loss medications. They view it as more of a, of a cosmetic issue when we all know that it is definitely not just a, a cosmetic issue and, it, and obesity predisposes to over 200 other medical conditions. So they'll cover medications for diabetes treatment, but not really address the root cause, the etiology of what is contributing to high blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea, diabetes, osteoarthritis, you know, the list goes on and on. And if there was a way to improve that access to medication and also to provider education, I think those two things would go a very, very, very long way. Leon, thank you. We could not agree more. And that is what we are all so passionate about. Our mission is really to, you know, scale and democratize access to obesity management as a way of controlling not only type 2 diabetes and preventing type 2 diabetes, but addressing the over 200 other chronic health conditions that are associated with obesity. We know that you are very passionate about educating providers um, and you spend a lot of your time educating educating providers on how to treat obesity and how to do what we do. Tell us a little bit about what it's going to take and kind of the future of this area in terms of getting closer to where we want to be in seeing more patients having access to care. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great topic to discuss because I think there are so many different ways that we can enhance that access. And We've done that by trying to expand the number of fellowships that are available to train physicians nationally. You know, I think it's going to take some of the items that we're building and continue to build within the Intel Health software, the Evolve platform, to really offer learning centers and programs to train practitioners in how to treat effectively and efficiently and utilizing the robust armamentarium of medications that we have at our fingertips, both on and off-label, actually, to facilitate. Because we know that some of the on-label medications are wonderful, but not available to all comers because of uh, cost and insurance limitations. And so part of 
the art and science of treating in this field is understanding medications that can contribute to sort of the success of someone's weight loss endeavor, but really making sure that the cornerstones of treatment, which become lifestyle modification, are not lost in the shuffle uh, and really having all of the infrastructure in place. So a company like IntelliHealth and uh, a software platform like Evolve, I think, really lends itself to the infrastructure that's needed to scale this on a much, uh, on much broader way. And again, training one person is really useful, but training a real army of practitioners is, is, I think, what needs to happen because we have such a mismatch. If you look at the American Board of Obesity Medicine uh, and how many providers are credentialed, we have under 6,000 ABOM certified diplomats so physicians who have sat for the obesity medicine boards. And if you contrast fewer than 6,000 providers with the 74% of the U.S. population that has either overweight or obesity, we could never, you know, even if all of those 6,000 providers were treating to their fullest capacity, we're never going to be able to meet that supply-demand mismatch. So I think it has to start being where primary care physicians and advanced practice providers, including nurse practitioners and others, are understanding how to treat at a high level and can utilize the kinds of electronic resources and technological advancements that are being made to really offer that extra training that just is not received during medical school and residency and fellowship and really offer that higher level of expertise. Yes, I completely agree with you. You know, I, I see in telehealth, as you mentioned, as the infrastructure for treating patients because you need more than just medication. And um, we are seeing efforts like this for diabetes. We're seeing programs of all types where, in some cases, all of the care is delivered. In other cases, there's supportive care of some type delivered. And we're seeing that with uh, our own approach through telehealth, which now is, is about 80 to 90% of our business at the Comprehensive Weight Control Center, that in order to do this the right way, we need tools like IntelliHealth to deliver care properly and to integrate all the staff. So we can't have coaches and dietitians on the one hand doing their thing and then doctors and nurse practitioners doing their thing on the other hand, and with no communication, with no proper support for the patient. Really, the optimal care is going to be offered, and the best results will be offered by integrating all of those teams. So I'm very excited about where we are headed within telehealth. So in your time in the field, tell us a little bit about the changes that you've seen in treatment. So, you know, what's your perspective on that? Because you were there as a student, sort of at the beginning of obesity medicine, if you, you will, and you watched it as a student evolve to, to where it is today. Give me some thoughts of your perspective. Yeah, the evolution of the field in both obesity and diabetes have one, they've kind of mirrored one another in terms of the amazing pharmacological advancements that have been made. I've, I'm kind of in awe of what we have available to us today compared to what we had a decade ago. It, it's really quite something. The 
GLP-1 class of medications has really been a revelation and the newer dual agonists um, have, you know, show so much promise in where we're heading as a future state. And the idea of what is coming down the pipeline, you know, I mentioned a simulin, but when you start talking about simulin being injected multiple times a day, when you start having versions of that type of medication that will likely be approved in a weekly format instead of a multiple time a day format, it really starts to, to show you what we can do and how we can ease patient uh, burden of injection and sort of the complications of using the medication. I think it's just, it's been such a wonderful progression that there are companies investing additional money in this area and recognizing that we can't continue to treat diabetes and obesity the way we have in the past. So, you know, either telling a patient that they need to be doing more to further reduce their food intake, even though they're very hungry or to feel starving all the time. I mean, these medications have really allowed folks to consume a lower number of of calories in a day while not feeling hungry and kind of allows for much more dietary control on a day-to-day basis. We've also seen that all of the medications that used to be used first line in the treatment of type 2 diabetes really contributed to a large degree to weight gain. You know, the sulfonylurea class, the TZD class, they were just so heavily causing and contributing to part of the, uh, the obesity epidemic in my mind. And that you know, obviously goes the same for insulin. And as we've had the newer agents, again, the the GLP-1 agents, the SGLT-2 class agents, we've just seen that, you know, not only are we helping with weight loss, but we're proving out that they have cardiovascular benefits so that people are having lower rates of death, you know, mortality benefits with these medications. And that's really the holy grail, right? I mean, of course, Weight loss, we know, improves the outcome of so many other disease states, but we actually have proof that these medications enhance a patient's longevity, that you live longer using them, that you know your rate of dying is reduced. And if you can really prove out anything, I think that's what you're trying to prove out, is that you have mortality benefit in the medications you're picking. So having that data now, I think, is really a revelation when you compare it to the other agents that had been shown to shorten life, even though they were controlling glucose to some degree. And that's where we're in a totally new world of kind of pharmacotherapeutic possibility. This is certainly an extremely exciting time for the field of obesity medicine. The newer agents we have have really been game-changing, and the agents that are in the pipeline will add to that as well. Um, What you've been talking about a bit is the idea of weight-centric diabetes management, so not just managing a patient's diabetes, but specifically choosing medications that are either weight-losing or or even weight-neutral and avoiding the medications that, that lead to weight gain. This 
is something that we hope will be adopted by more and more and more endocrinologists. Um, but it's at this point, just given the supply demand mismatch in terms of the field of obesity medicine and in terms of, you know, this weight centric diabetes approach, these are approaches that so many people um, haven't really had access to. For some of our listeners who may have prediabetes, may have obesity, may have diabetes, and are more interested in a weight centric diabetes approach or interested in obesity medicine, maybe they've tried lifestyle approaches and um, haven't had enough success. What is your best advice for how to bring up this conversation with their provider or how to find providers who could help? What can people do if they feel like they just are not receiving this kind of care that, that we're describing if they're interested in this? You know, I think if you look at even the guidelines that are put out in terms of how to manage diabetes, the ACE guidelines, AACE guidelines, actually do emphasize a really weight-centric approach now. It's just that not every endocrinologist has adopted that approach, and insurance companies aren't always approving the, the agents that are touted as preferential and have the, the weight and cardiovascular and mortality benefits, even though they really should. So I think coming armed with some additional information, and we can provide resources, but coming armed with some of the information as to, you know, which medications are considered preferential by evidence-based guidelines could really help. I also think that looking to practitioners who have that ABOM certification that I mentioned, so ABOM is the American Board of Obesity Medicine. If you go to their website, you can find practitioners that have completed certification through the the American Board of Obesity Medicine, and those are going to be practitioners who understand, at least to some degree, that type of weight-centric care. And likewise, if you find fellowship-trained physicians, which is a smaller group, but the OMFC, the Obesity Medicine Fellowship Council, has a list of all of the fellows who have completed obesity medicine fellowship training. And between all of those resources or larger weight centers at, at academic institutions, I think you can find practitioners who really understand what it means to be at the heart of treating a disease state you know, not just treating obesity, but treating the associated medical problems that come from having obesity. So that is where most of our weight specialists really are also by default diabetes specialists. Uh, some are more heavily trained in endocrinology than others, but in general, it's a really good bet that you're going to have someone who's pretty darn savvy when it comes to that. So I think starting a conversation with your primary care doctor is an excellent way to go, but it may require an endocrinologist or it may require someone who has subspecialty training in obesity to really get to what you're hoping to get to. So I would emphasize that if you're feeling like you're really not at a good place with your diabetes control or your weight control, that there are providers out there who can offer additional uh, expertise and guidance, uh, and you should seek them out. Yes, it's one of the biggest issues that we have in the field is the, the lack of well-trained obesity medicine specialist. Let's say someone's going to be going to a primary care physician. What, what are they going to do? In, in primary care, it looks to me like telehealth is going to really play an important role in managing obesity. And, you know, that's the kind of 
concept that we're embracing with, with our program in telehealth and our Evolve platform. Yeah, I think Flight, which is the clinical affiliate to IntelliHealth that I spearhead, I mean, again, that's our mission. Our mission is to allow for virtual access to specialists who treat obesity and the associated medical problems and give someone sitting in a rural area who, who you know, has a limited number of doctors available to them that they can have access via telemedicine to someone who's sitting very far away, but who can provide very high level care for their medical disease. So that is the wave of the future in my mind, that you, you can live 300 miles away from a major academic center and still get top-notch, high-level, first-rate care. And that's really what we're building and what we're growing into. And, you know, we may not have national coverage today, but as we expand nationally, that is really the overarching goal and endeavor that we're um, aspiring to achieve. So, again, reach out to us as well. And we may not be in your area today, but that doesn't mean we won't be there in six months. Very, very, very exciting progress. Leon, you are very well known by your patients who adore you for being very compassionate, empathetic, understanding, you never judge. These are all qualities that Dr. Oni has has taught all of us and his other protégés. I hear concern that telehealth may make um, these kind of interactions a little bit harder. So, you know, building trust with our patients and just developing that the same sort of relationship that is so easy that we've been doing for years and years and years in the office in person. How has the transition been to telehealth? Do you think that it's harder to build these relationships or what are some strategies that can um, help these encounters? It's a great question. You know, I think When the pandemic hit, our initial concern was exactly that, that transitioning over to telehealth would be a hard transition and that we would have a hard time maintaining a relationship with our patients in the way that we're accustomed. But I actually think, if anything, it's given patients greater access to us, and it's allowed us to have timely appointments that our patients don't have to cancel because of other work responsibilities or childcare responsibilities, that they can have their appointments during a break in their workday or during a break in childcare without having to travel multiple hours and sit in a waiting room. You know, I really think it's made a tremendous difference in, in our patient access. And just based on the numbers, when you look at them at Cornell, our volume of patients we were able to see went up because we weren't having no-shows the way we used to, and our ability to sort of accommodate a patient's schedule improved as well. So that rapport is really important, and I think making that effort to engage your patient uh, is really important during that period of time. But I also think our software has oddly enough, enabled us to do that more. The Evolve software, having information collected in advance that we can then use during the appointment that I'm spending sort of less time collecting during the visit and I'm not just typing the entire time, I think gives me more time to speak and really listen and dive deeper into the areas of concern that my patients may have instead of just trying to collect the information the entire time. So I think having the ability to leverage the technology that we've built and the kind of ease on the patient side of having an appointment, I think all of those things have really lent themselves to a better outcome 
for both parties. And, you know, as long as you're emphasizing the rapport and still maintaining that high level care, I think patients recognize very quickly that you care about their outcomes. You know, they recognize that you're in it with them and that you're invested in their success. And that's really something that, as the story that I mentioned earlier, I have a very personal stake in this. And how can I judge anyone? You know, I I would have to judge my own father. I would have to judge my family. You know, all of those things would really be quite complicated. You know, I think coming in without that judgment and understanding that this is a medical condition, this is something that is not a patient's fault. And that is, you know, either a genetic or hormonal predisposition to this disease state. So like anything else, we don't judge if someone has high blood pressure. We don't judge if someone has genetically high cholesterol. These are things that we're, we never put judgment on. And yet for some reason, other practitioners seem to judge weight in a different way. And I don't view it through any other lens. I I view it as any other chronic disease, whether that is high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and that we have, thankfully, we're in an era that we have medications that are very effective to treat it. And we should. And we should, you know, like every other condition, really focus on what is the heart of that problem? What is at the sort of root cause? And how do we get to the root cause? Because even within our existing care structure, oftentimes we're adding medications for weight control, but have the ability to remove other medications for conditions like high blood pressure or someone no longer needs their CPAP machine because they've lost so much weight in our care model. So we may add medications for the treatment of weight, but we, are, we often have the ability to remove other medications simultaneously. So we're really focusing on getting to the root cause and understanding that this is not a patient's fault and making sure that the patient understands that as well, that this is their genetics like any other medical problem, there should be no more judgment associated with weight than any other issue that a patient has. I agree with you completely. So thank you very much, Dr. Eagle, for being with us today. It's been very exciting to speak to you. This is Dr. Louis Aroni. I'm here with Dr. Catherine Saunders. And uh, I want to uh, thank you all for listening and look forward to hearing some more about the Weight Matters topics in the near future. Thank you so much, Leon. This was really, really great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Weight Matters. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about how Dr. Saunders and Dr. Aroni are working to transform specialized treatments for chronic conditions through the best in medical science and advanced technologies, visit IntelliHealth.co backslash podcast. And be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to podcasts. 